Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future Chat from Unwind Media. My name is Rob Attrell. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Mike Attrell. Every week, we aim to bring you all the latest and greatest in science and tech news. Nick Maddox, our senior contributor, has joined us today despite having been through a nasty case of bear flu just one week ago. Nick, why don't you tell us how your recovery is going so far? Um, well, the recovery is going well. It's, uh, you never want to catch bear flu. That's true. But I mean, it was, I'm not happy. Well, no, it's like, I, it needed to happen, though. Oh? The way I caught bear flu, like, it, it just, it had to happen. Well, it was a sacrifice. A sacrifice yeah. you're willing to make. Well, yeah, because, I mean, after I was sure that Mike was okay, like, I figured, man, this bear is causing so many problems. Like, this has just got to stop. So I actually went and hunted the bear. All right. And, I mean, having spent some time as a bear, like, long-time listeners to the show will remember I did spend some time as a bear. And so... Allows me to get into their head, get into their psyche, and, you know, really track them down. You know what it's like. Yeah. So it all ended in this one, one, you know, clearing. And I knew the bear was somewhere around. So in the middle of the clearing, I left a -a pick-a-neck basket because, uh, as well as porridge, bears have a week for pick-a-neck baskets. Yeah. And... Even if they're smarter than the average bear, we're still humans. So you know. Um, so I mean, after that, you know, the bear starts wandering out, and I go for a charge. But then the bears brought some buddies, and whew, I don't really remember what happened. Like some people say I went into full-on lumberjack mode. Some people say I transformed into a bear again with a titanium skeleton this time. What? But, uh, well, you remember the last of time I, I remember, turned but into that a bear. Intense. <laughs> yeah, so, well, how else am I going to take on a bunch of bears, Rob? That's true. I completely agree. I but, see the logic uh, in it. Yeah, uh, the bear says he's sorry because he is a Canadian bear. Obviously, yeah. And, uh, I mean, bears are going to be bears, but he's, Mike, he's sorry he uh, caused such a kerfuffle. I, f- I forgive him. Yeah. Thank you for passing that message along. That, wow. that provides closure to me. Sure. You're welcome. It's I, a very I'm neat very bow very on top of the story. Hmm? It's a neat bow to end, to close out the story, this bear yeah. epic. But, I mean... I was around a lot of bears, and I guess one of them was sick, and I might have been a bear at the time. And that would explain how makes, you can catch bear flu, for sure. Yeah, bear flu makes the jump, and here we are. Here we are indeed. Yeah. So let's go back to last week. We, we made, I guess, some conjectures last week <clears throat> in our discussion about Back to the Future and the technology therein, and the science therein. And so we, we followed up on a few different things. And so the first thing, we talked about holograms, uh, the hologram that appeared of Jaws in Back to the Future. Nick, did, have you seen Back to the Future too? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the Jaws hologram? 
I'm not sure I remember the Jaws hologram. It was it was within a few minutes of them getting there. Marty gets all, like eaten by a hologram shark. Like it goes and tries to bite him. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> we were we I were wondering. Movies. Yeah, we were curious as to whether the holograms that we've seen of Tupac performing on a stage and Michael Jackson and uh, I was reading up and it was it was Rihanna and M.I.A. the rapper who shared a stage even though they were they were thousands of miles apart and it turns out that's not really a hologram which is unfortunate it's just like an optical illusion projected not projected well I guess it is kind of projected yeah. sort of the same way a projector in class would work it just reflects light onto a a screen from yeah. I think it's normally from behind or from below. Yeah, I was reading up on it. It's actually a well-known illusion. Um, yeah, called the uh, it's Pepper's Ghost. Pepper's Ghost. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's projected onto a glass or fiberglass panel, so it's invisible for all intents and purposes until it's projecting something that is reflected off of it, and that's mm. kind of and it's what it, what's being projected is off to the side out of the audience view. Yeah. So. And it, uh, <laughs> so Pepper's ghost is not to be confused with the ghost Pepper. No, not at all. Okay. It's the exact opposite of that, in fact. <laughs> opposite or inverse? <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> Pepper being a magician that came up with the illusion. Yeah. So the, the breakthrough, I would say, in this technology and its use in the last five or ten years is the fact that it's such a high-resolution color image that it could be mistaken for a hologram, but it's not at all a, a three-dimensional projection out into the world or anything like that, which makes me sad. Uh, so up next, we talked about the hoverboard, and I think we kind of agreed <clears throat> that I was right, although we still don't, necessarily need to have a full physical explanation of the, the science. Maybe maybe Nick can enlighten us a little bit, maybe not. But we, we discussed that the hoverboard, I think I said it was either paramagnetism or diamagnetism, and that it didn't require iron to be involved, because it was really strong oh, magnets. Yeah. What's diamagnetic again? I think it's, it's the one that allows anything to hover. Like you, you've, I don't know if you guys have seen, when they get the really cold uh, they're either rare earth or, again, like superconducting magnets. They can hover a frog, for instance. Like, oh, yeah. any material can hover. That's diamagnetism. just takes a really, really strong field. But I don't think this is that. I think it's yeah. paramagnetism. Okay. I think what we're talking about is whether it's ferromagnetic or not. And a ferromagnetic right. would actually cause it to attract, which is what yeah. I was yeah. confused by, because I was like, well, how would it hover if it was ferromagnetic? But... Yeah, it's like what you're saying. It induces the current that opposes yeah. the electromagnetic field. Right. Um, and that's what causes the hovering. Which is cool. Yeah. But, again, it, it requires... They were using copper in this case, so mm -hmm. it requires metal, and uh, it's not really practical unless you wanted to build an all-metal skate park. Which would be cool. completely possible. It would be cool, <clears throat> but the the nice thing about... Skateboarding, and I'm not a skateboarder, I just have a basic understanding of physics. Skateboarding requires at least some friction against the surface, yeah. so a hoverboard in a skate park would not be very oh. useful. Well, you couldn't do tricks. You, you could, could hover turn, around and yeah. slide around. You couldn't like do an ollie or a kickflip. Uh, right. 
Exactly. Oh, ah, uh, because you have to push off the ground. Nearly, yeah, it wouldn't be nearly as productive. You could like push down a bit, and then it would like jump back up, but it probably wouldn't be as pronounced as yeah. an ollie or anything would. Would probably fly up from under you too. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, although, if it, if I tried to do it with a regular skateboard, it would still fly out. So <laughs> 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 I wouldn't probably notice as much of a difference as say Tony Hawk would. Yeah. Uh, the last one we discussed from the movie was. Um, Mr. Fusion, the little canister that converted garbage into fuel. And <clears throat> I think the dis- dis- discussion there was we were deciding whether or not it was radioactive. That was the... No, the hydrogen was- bomb was using fission or fusion. Because you brought up it was similar to the hydrogen bomb reaction. Right. Oh, man, you guys were... Oh. Yeah, no, 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 no. I should have been here. I could have explained I know. the whole thing. <laughs> It's not the the discussion that we had wasn't as wrong as it could have been because the, the real hydrogen bomb uses both. It uses fission, a small amount of fission, to generate to kickstart the fusion reaction. It's so in that sense, it uses fission and fusion. But I always knew that the hydrogen bomb part of it was fusion. Right. And I don't think Mike was. No, was I wasn't as enlightened as you were yeah. on that side of things. No. Yeah. Uh, no. That's uh, the the main part of the explosion, like most of the energy is coming from, I think it's deuterium-tritium fission. Yeah. Or turning into fusion. Deuterium. Turning into helium. Deuterium-tritium fusion. See, it's hard. <laughs> the words sound alike. <laughs> and words, how do they work? Yeah, but but the the fact remains that the fallout from a hydrogen bomb in terms of nuclear radiation, would be a lot less, almost non-existent, compared to the fusion or the fission, uh, the nuclear bombs that were dropped, for instance, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I don't know if this is like follow. I don't know if this is helpful, but usually I've heard the fat man and little boy referred to as uh, atomic bombs, and then yeah, atomic. The other ones are referred to H bombs or, mm-hmm. yeah. or hydrogen bombs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, and so that's that. That was it for the the technology we talked about with Back to the Future. Uh, the one other piece of follow up, I think, I think we covered this fairly well. We were talking about the government uh, sending, starting to send, or mandating sending notices. Uh, ISPs having to send notices to customers who were infringing copyright or downloading uh, illegal material, and there something like a six month window. That they have, they have where they have to. The ISPs have to keep records of of downloads tied to customer IP addresses, but they don't have to share those addresses with the the company that's uh, asking for it unless they're involved in a lawsuit and there's a court order. And so that protects the customers and also allows the government and the ISPs to inform customers when they're infringing. Because the thought was a lot of people don't necessarily know if they see oh, you can download this TV show and it's free and it's right now and it's fast. Unless you're informed, it's easy to think that that's not as bad as it is. Like, it's not as copyright infringing as it is. Uh, and so, Mike, you just wanted to take it one step further, right, talking about VPN. Yeah, well, I think it was more of a coincidental piece of news. I don't think it was directly related to the ISP uh, crackdown. Um, but Or the reporting that they're going to have to start doing, but I know Netflix uh, was alleged to have been uh, taking measures to restrict access to 
the users using VPNs to access the uh, out-of-country content, um, such as Canadians getting U.S. content and vice versa. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it, it's vice versa. <laughs> I don't think... Well, there are actually some there Canadian some. ones that, are, that aren't on the U.S. that people want to watch. Yeah. Like Suits is on the Canadian one, and it's not oh, on the U.S. one. So it makes I, a lot I, of sense. I love Suits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Anyway, the show. Yeah. So, um, I know Netflix went on record saying that they weren't treating VPNs any differently than they always have been. So they technically didn't say that they're not cracking down, but there haven't been any changes. So people who use VPN services should have business as usual, whether it's working or not, um, until further notified, I guess, or noticed. But... Um, I guess there are just more reports of people using VPNs that had their access being blocked by Netflix, and it was more of a, oh, maybe they're cracking down more, um, but they're saying that they're not, so your guess is as good as mine as far as what's going on. Right. So what I read in relation to this whole story, and the reason that I think it came out in, I think it was in the same article that I had originally read, uh, was that VPNs are going to be subject to the same restriction slash notification stuff as ISPs are. And so if a VPN gets a notice from of copyright infringement from some studio or from some company, they are also beholden to their cut to pass on the notification to their customers that, that copyrighted infringement has occurred. And that was why it was in the news at around the same time, because it was like ISPs have to do it and VPNs also have to do it. Mm. Uh, but VPNs <clears throat> I mean VPNs are more associated with geo restriction. I think, maybe I don't know this, but I think a lot less people use VPNs as a way to anonymize their downloading. I know that does happen, but I think geo-blocking is a lot is a reason why a lot more customers do that. Yeah. And I know like a lot of sites now will use, um, I guess, IP identification versus the DNS. Yeah. So the VPN doesn't mask your IP, it masks your DNS. So if you're using a VPN, it won't affect the IP recognition um, sites that will will use that for your geolocating. Um, but there's other ways to mask your IP as well. Yeah. I've been saying, or I, I pointed out to you guys, I think, yesterday or the day before, that apparently the first round of notifications are in the mail from the past six months. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who gets letters. Yeah. So now torrent sites, would that be the ISP's responsibility to notify the people using torrents? Or is it's, it the torrent sites that would be notifying? No, it would be the ISPs. And so it would take... Uh, there was a story last year specifically about Voltage Pictures in the States. And I think the first movie they cracked down on was The Hurt Locker, yeah. where they basically sent a bunch of... This was in the States, but I think it affected some people in Canada, where they were trying to basically sue anyone that had downloaded a torrent of the Hurt Locker. So it would take a co- to crack down on torrents, it would take this, the studio going and searching torrent sites, finding the torrent, and then looking at who had downloaded it. And then getting that mm-hmm. list of IPs and then sending it to the ISP and saying, who is this? And then they forward the notification on. So it's not gonna, it's not like as soon as you download something illegally, you're going to get a notification, and this notification doesn't actually mean anything. It's sort of like a warning slash informational thing. Um, but it takes some effort by the, mm-hmm. the companies in order to actually do this. So it's a small step, but it's something, and at least 
it lets people know that people know that they're downloading illegally. Yeah, and I, I've heard that as far as the VPNs getting uh, getting a crackdown, that is fairly difficult for um, a company to recognize who's using a masked DNS versus an authentic one. Um, so just on like kind of what you're alluding to there as to how much legwork there's on the part of the, the company, it might not be worth their time. Um, yeah. Plus, like, you know, at the end of the day, Netflix is actually benefiting from VPNs because people often only be having Netflix because they can access the content they want, especially if you're Canada and, the, and trying to get U.S. content. That Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't be having Netflix. So it's yeah. probably in Netflix's best interest to not crack down on VPNs. Yeah. I was actually, I was reading an interesting sort of follow-up to this story uh, with the Hurt Locker. So Voltage Pictures <clears throat> basically got a court order to get all the ISPs to send them the, date, the IP data for the customers that had downloaded the movie. Is it definitely Voltage or is it Voltage? I don't know. <laughs> that, I think I've Voltage sounds more thinking. likely. I don't know. That's a, That's a good question. I don't know why I read it that way. Maybe it was. I'm gonna look it up, but uh, you've been so with they Ottawa did, so long, man. <laughs> <laughs> they they went to court, and basically, the agreement they made was that tech savvy and the other. The, I was reading the article was about tech savvy uh, responding to this, but the lawsuit said, "You have to give us the IPs, and we will pay you for the extra time slash work that you have to do to collect them all." And Tech Savvy came back. Tech Savvy was one of the ISPs that came back and said, all right, we did it. We got your IPs. Um, that'll be $300,000, please. <laughs> and they were like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so now they have to decide if they want to go through with this, they have to pay up first, which is kind of awesome, I must say. $300,000. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the, that's the story. Uh, I'm trying to find. I don't know why I think. I guess it probably is voltage, but I don't know. It sounds way better to have it be voltage. Uh, so voltage pictures. If if anybody from voltage voltage pictures is listening, consider changing your name to voltage. It probably the symbol is a lightning strike. It's probably voltage. <laughs> You know that thing of when you've been realized you've been mispronouncing something for like months or years in your own head? Yeah, that just <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to the actual to some some new stuff. And I forget if we actually did we talked about what we're most looking forward to at CES last week, Mike, or was that just a fever dream of mine? And I we agreed that we were gonna talk about it after. We we talked about what we might see. We talked about uh, new TVs. I think they were talking I think the speculation leading up to it was that there wouldn't be a ton of exciting stuff right. because we've kind of seen it all, quote-unquote. But I think, in hindsight, we uh, we actually did see quite a few new new and cool things. So um, definitely some stuff worth, worth covering and going yeah. over. So, Nick, can I assume that you didn't hear anything about this and you're just going to be commenting on the things we talk about? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> So, I guess we'll start, and I, we'll start this way because we've all we've talked about gadgets many times. Let's talk about the the small, sort of less consequential new things. And Mike, 
Maybe go through. No, no, no. Ooh, I'm just saying. That's consequential. A new a new phone by LG or by Asus or by Samsung or by whatever. It's fine. I love that they put out new phones, but it's less consequential than some of the other stuff that is actually maybe a bigger change or a newer thing. So yeah, go through what. Give me your top one or two phones from CES, and maybe yeah. To begin with. I don't consider just your, you know, stock, you know, oh, Galaxy S5 release, like, who cares? I want to I wanna see the new and exciting um, developments in phone design and adding new features and uh, kind of stretching the boundaries of what we consider to be the norm. Um, and that's kind of what I'd look for in these types of events. So um, the two or three that stuck out for me... Um, you know, everyone remembers uh, the G Flex from LG, and everyone was like, "Why would anyone want a curved phone?" Uh, they also came out with the self-healing back um, yeah. that had a more kind of a rubberized uh, material that kind of re-conglomerated to itself to kind of heal um, from minor scratches. Uh, so they came out with the G Flex too. Um, okay. So it is now uh, bigger, and it they've kind of tweaked the design so it's a little bit sleeker. Um, they came out with a red one. Um, but the reception to it is a lot more positive than it was when they initially released it. And maybe it's because people just got used to having kind of more unconventional phones that are being released by companies. Um, so I think it's good that everyone was able to warm up to that kind of design and, and to see the new G Flex 2. Um, and I think a big part of it is that now we're seeing the Note Edge be released um, with the curved edge that has the notification bar on it. Um, and then you have the LG phone where they have a concept design with two curved edges on it, uh, mimicking the Note Edge features, but with the two rounded edges. And I think we talked about that when we first released the Note Edge, and what about for left-handed people? Yeah. Um, so okay. that kind of... Is it, is it... It's not you get... A left-handed edge, in, or a right-handed. You get it's both. left and right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of cool. It's, you know, why not go two when you could have one? Um, and then I don't know if you guys have heard about the Zoda phone, but that one sounds familiar. Yeah. So that one has your standard uh, LED screen at the front, but then it has an e-ink display on the rear of the phone. Mm-hmm. So, and that's for kind of quick usage of notifications, time, uh, calendar, just simple functions that can be just displayed and not as interactive as, as an LED screen would need to be. Um, is, this the, is this the phone that uh, they were saying if you're in low, like in low battery situations, you can use it and it would last a whole lot longer, but you'd still get most of Android, but just on e-ink? Well, Samsung came out with that functionality. They have a very, I guess it's kind of e-ink looking. It's, very, it's a black and white... Uh, low-resolution display that, yeah, you can do texts and phone calls. Okay. Um, and last but that's all, not this phone. I guess technically you could use it in that way. Um, I don't know the full... I'm not familiar with the full functionality of the e-ink uh, okay. portion of it. I'm sure you could make a phone call or, or do a text or that kind of thing. Yeah, um, okay. But you couldn't watch a movie on it kind of thing, right? Right. Um, but I guess just seeing kind of the more unconventional designs is, is good to see, especially at these types of events where you have people paying close attention and it gives people something to look forward to in, in development of these types of devices. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. Those were those are kind of my my highlights of of CES to kind of uh, see that was those boundaries getting stretched and things to look forward to in future releases. So, if you had to say, if you had to upgrade a phone, would you rather pick, say, the new Nexus or a new iPhone or one of these phones? Is there, are you, would you lean in any particular direction? I think I I definitely want to try to have one of the more, I guess, quote-unquote gimmicky or uh, unconventional, unique phones. Um, you know, I see the I see the value in, in the Nexus uh, environment and ecosystem with kind of the stock uh, stock UI and that kind of thing. But I don't know, I, I want to try something new and something cool and to be able to have, like, a curve for that kind of thing. I don't know. Okay. Nice. Nick, does any of this sound interesting at all to you? Actually, in the last couple minutes, I was realizing that my uh, sound settings might be way off. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, yep, no. I I think I only just now started recording with the blue microphone. <laughs> All right. The, the thing right in front of my face? Yeah. What, what were you recording so, uh, with before? Or were you not internal, recording? The internal mic okay. in the laptop. Crappy that, one. That should. That's probably not as bad as you think it will be. <laughs> I'm still. Do you remember, like, immediately before the show when I said it was just one of those days and things are just not going right? Yeah. The trend continues. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you weren't listening, or does that just mean you're informing me? Oh, I definitely wasn't listening for the okay. past couple minutes. <laughs> that's fine. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> Do any of those sound interesting to you, Rob? Uh, you know what? You have on here that there's an Asus Zenfone 2, which is a cheap, yeah, uh, which is a cheap phone, and that sounds it sounds nice because I know that in the world where contracts are getting bigger and bigger and uh, more and more expensive, it's nice to have a cheap off-contract phone. But uh, the the it, it reminded me of another Asus phone, which is the Asus Pad phone. Uh, which is a phone that kind of like kangaroo joeyed <laughs> into a tablet. Yeah. And that that was always my dream. Yeah. I don't know if I ever talked about this, but yeah, I we did. Wish. I remember. Yeah. No, because no, we were seeing the dream was a phone that went into a tablet that went into like a computer. Yeah. That like and stretched. Then, like yeah. my image was a screen that stretched and like could change size. You could if you. If you were needed a really portable, it could be like a three-inch screen, like an old, or like an iPhone 3G or whatever size, a tiny. Yeah. But or, if you wanted more screen, you could just stretch it out. Or you get like like a smartwatch screen Ooh, that, pl- that plugs into a smaller phone screen that plugs into a bigger phone screen <laughs> that plugs into a tablet that plugs into a computer. Uh, yeah, I understand why that's not technologically. It's like the Inception or... phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm interested to see. I've never used an Asus phone. I don't think I've ever even seen one in person. But I like some of the stuff that Asus does with laptops, and so it'd be interesting to see their take on. I assume it's Android. Yeah. Uh, other than that, the, the Edge doesn't seem that compelling to me. I'm just now getting used to the fact that the edges of my screen are curved on the iPhone six. 
And I don't know if I could handle stuff being on that edge. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the LG Flex, I think, is an interesting proof of concept that you can make a phone that's flexible. What I would want is, if you're going to do that, make it fully flexible. Like, make it a flat phone that flexes. So, like, if you drop it, it can absorb some impact. Or if you bend it, it will bend back. At, like, rather than having it sort of gimmicky and flexed all of it, like, as its base shape, it, that seems too gimmicky. I don't know. I do. You, does that make sense? Is that do you understand? I the, I think the properties you're asking for would be include or would be uh, included with the ability to flex as a phone. Yeah. Like if you could flex it. Like, are we saying it's a rigid sort of flex? So like you bend it and it stays, or either actually, either one. Actually, no. In, in either case, like if you drop a flexible phone, if it flexes that that uh, elastic or plastic movement will absorb some of the energy from the impact and yeah. will protect it. So I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what you want, Rob. I want that. What, I want what do both. You, oh. <laughs> I want. Honestly, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I want a phone. Like it seems to me, if the phone's curved and you lay it flat, it will be on a point, and so that point, whatever point is resting, will get scratched or or not destroyed, but uh, will wear faster. But it'll be on a point. Like it will be on a on a smaller flat surface, so that is the spot. You'll get this sort of patch on but the bottom. The concave part is the point. screen. The screen is the convex part. Right, no, 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 but I mean, if you lay it on its back, you'll get this, like, right in the center of the phone, you'll get a, wear, a worn spot. But it's a self-healing back. All right. That, I mean, that's a fair point. What if you lay it face down, and the edges of your screen get worn down? That, what if, what if when of... you have your phone out, a bear comes at you, and then you're distracted <laughs> by your phone, and... Uh... These are all, all right. very, very important issues you're bringing to our attention, Rob. Uh, we're gonna what move did you past... like at CES, Rob? What did you like? <laughs> we're going to move past phones. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've talked about this before. I really like the idea of a self-driving car, and a lot of car manufacturers brought fully functioning prototypes of self-driving cars. There were all, both cars that can drive in... Over the last, I guess this is over the last couple of years, there have been cars that can drive in stop-and-go traffic without any human input. There have been cars that can drive on the highway without any human input. There are cars that can park themselves and va- sort of valet service themselves to a parking spot and back to you at the touch of a phone or at the touch of a phone or a watch or whatever it is. Uh, the one, the vi- the video that I saw, I'm sort of partial to Audi just as a brand in general. And so the one video that I was watching was an Audi that was doing this, that was, like, basically, the, the car was driving around in a... It was a closed environment, but it was a parking lot. There were other cars and obstacles and stuff. And, like, you can drive as erratically as you want, but you cannot crash that car. That was a BMW video you were watching, by the way. Uh, the one that I was watching was an Audi. No, it was BMW. The one I posted was Audi. 
I, the link I posted I don't think is, is related to the video. It's just I was looking at self-parking cars. Oh, okay. Um, oh, sorry, you're, you are right. The parking one was a BMW. Yeah. The, the highway one was an Audi. Yeah. The, the collision avoidance one you're talking about, that was BMW. Yeah, that was BMW. Yeah. You, you, are, you are right. I am wrong. Uh, voltage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. The concept of a car that can't crash seems so interesting to me. Like, it would take a patch of black ice or something where it physically can't stop. Oh, you the would... Car is smart enough that there it was... can avoid any obstacle. They made a disclaimer that it was only up to 15 kilometers per hour it could avoid a collision. 1.5. Like, where it absolutely could. Higher ones, it, it will do everything it can, but they can't guarantee... Well, that the range only comes into effect at that 15 km per hour range. Any any faster, you'll still have speed by the time you reach your the object. As in, it's like its so, deceleration can only get uh, you to a dead stop in that 15 km per hour range, right? Is it 15 kilometers per hour? Because that's like nothing. I don't know. Maybe they said miles. I was going to miles would make more sense. Cause, I, like, I heard kilometers, but... When you're in an, it, it may it may well be, but if you're in a car and you just yeah. take your foot off of the brake, like an automatic transmission car, yeah. If you take your foot off the brake, you can easily exceed yeah. twenty or you know fifteen yeah. twenty kilometers per Maybe hour. Maybe it was miles because it was a U.S. video and they were in Vegas, so it makes sense it'd be miles. Maybe, yeah. uh, although in a slightly different note, they did have an episode of Top Gear where they had like. I forget what brand of SUV it was, but Clarkson, I think it was Clarkson, he was going to park his car, and there was a hedge at the end of the parking spot, and he was pulling in, and then he suddenly goes, I didn't stop my car. And they're like, well, yeah, you did. He's like, no, but I didn't do it. I was the one that stopped the car. The car stopped itself. Yeah. And so they're like, well, gee, let's try it again. And I think they tried it again, and it worked or something like that. And they're like, well, wait, it must set things in front of the car and then stop the car if it's about to hit them. And yeah. so they're like, well, let's, let's try this some more. And <laughs> so they're like, okay, you leave your car there, and I'll drive towards it and we'll see what happens. <laughs> And by God, he plowed into the back of Captain Snow something fierce. Captain Snow something fierce. What? He just straight up hit him. The car didn't stop. Was it supposed to the whole time? Was or was that not even what? Was I don't know. Apparently it was a stop? feature. They just didn't know about it. That's, that's great. So they didn't fully understand what it could and couldn't do because, you know, they actually hit the other car. That's nice. <laughs> I like Top Gear. Yeah. Fun show. Oh, uh, man. I, I really like that. So, yeah. Um, on the self-driving thing, I think I think that... We, we've talked about it before. I think that is the future. And it, in all the articles I read, they were sort of talking about how this is... They know it's a slow and steady race. They're, in California and Nevada are the only two states that have laws for cars that can drive themselves and the laws are actually different so they were at one point they were describing going between the two states and you have to change plates you have to change plates because you're not allowed to have a self-driving car with California plates in Nevada for instance hmm. but it's coming like it's it's happening slowly but we're getting there 
Yeah. Well, I remember when they first came out with the cars that could parallel park themselves, and that was yeah. pretty cool. And now we're seemingly light years beyond that already. Yeah. It, it's really sad that parallel parking is literally an algorithm <laughs> that a computer can follow yeah. without... Like, it doesn't even need sensors for that. Yeah. This is math. <laughs> 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 just, it checks that it's not going to hit anything, and then it just does it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes me feel bad for being terrible at parallel parking when I was learning. Uh, Mike, you wanted to talk here about a Walkman. The Walkman. Explain, explain this to me. This What's is this on? is not just a Walkman. It is the Walkman from from Sony that oh they my. decided to. What's that? Which is oh my! I'm excited. I have yeah. Heard no, about you this. should be excited. You'll be even more excited once you hear how expensive it is. <laughs> it is for some reason they decided a it was good to release a audio only device, and not only that, but they made it priced out beyond anyone actually wanting to buy it at twelve hundred dollars US. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> now Do you know the grade of espresso machine I could buy for that. I know. <laughs> Nice one. <laughs> so, they they market this as a uh, high end audiophile catering device. It better that supports... be high end. Hmm. It better be high end. Yeah, Gee. no, it's it better be plated in gold for that price. Yeah. But you know, it's I guess it supports various uh, audio formats that people want, and it doesn't even have a ton of storage. It's not like it's a terabyte or anything. It's like sure. No. 128 gigabytes or something like that. That's it. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, it's a thing, and uh, all the all the articles I read were saying, "Oh yeah, I can totally hear the difference." Oh oh yeah, no, oh, it's 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 good. Wouldn't pay for it. Um, I want to know your guys' take on if you believe in hearing the difference between different audio formats. Well, I think this is a classic example of where, you know, the the obscenely wealthy can really drive an economy. <laughs> because I am sure there is some 15-year-old, uh, what do you call it, spawn, uh, child. <laughs> <laughs> like some 15-year-old child of just fabulously wealthy people, blah, blah. Daddy, but I want that one. It's so much better. Sweetie, it's $1,200. But, Daddy, I can play flack with this one. Do you even know what flack <laughs> is, child? No, but I want it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, like, what, what, for, I'm a little baffled. Like, what kind of headphones are you using that would, make that big a difference. This isn't even counting the headphones. Headphones are its own thing, and you can buy like $300, $400 headphones too. You can buy thousands, $10,000 headphones if you really want. I was going to yeah. think, buy this ludicrously priced Walkman and then like put in a, a, like a $20 <laughs> pair of earbuds. <laughs> and people will be like, yeah, this sounds great. It's so... <laughs> You I have just love facts so much. <laughs> you have here that you want to talk about audio quality and noticing a difference between something like this and something like a $40 iPod Shuffle. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the thing is, 
there can actually be, I'm not saying there is, but there can actually be audio processing software on this Walkman that would cause you to be able to tell the difference between something like yeah. a shuffle and something like... But that's just like messing with EQ and sort of mastering a track in a specific way. And Beats headphones do the same thing. Like, they sound bassier because it cranks up the bass in the EQ. So it doesn't necessarily mean that this sounds better or is, like, it is any higher of a bit rate that is causing you to notice the difference. It could just be the way they the way it sounds. Like, the sound quality could be different, and so you could tell, you could notice a difference. So you're saying it's probably just going through an equalization filter. Yeah, if it's not necessarily just an EQ, but, like, if you're using a FLAC file, it might sound a little better, but the the real test would come with a double-blind study where you have to listen and tell, and guess with the same pair of headphones and tell whether or not you can tell which is a higher quality. Not say, like, oh, listen to this and now listen to this Walkman. Does it sound better? And you can probably, like, human nature will say, yes, it, of course it sounds better. It's $1,200 Walkman. Yeah. But if you do a blind test, you're probably not going to find that much of a difference, if any. Yeah. And and the Walkman does have, yeah, those software-type processes that do something to this files that make it sound different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you have a point there that it's probably more on the software side that they're modifying the sound that way versus just being able to play a specific format. So, Right. We're, we're all used to, th- either through radio, through just low quality. I mean, we I encode these podcasts at 64 kilobits per second, and th- 64 megabits per second? No, kilobytes. Kilobits. Uh, it is kilobits, yeah. yeah. And I was like, say, I'm not sure I'm downloading the thing at megabits per second. <laughs> the, the, the MP3 standard for high bit rate is 320. Yeah. And, like, that's music. It obviously has a much higher dynamic range, so it's more important to have a larger bit rate. But FLAC is something like... Like, FLAC is CD quality. Like, you can download it... You can buy a CD and download it in FLAC, and it's going to be, like, a 700-megabyte file. But whether or not you're actually getting that quality of sound by the end, you're going to need thousands of dollars of audio equipment to actually play a sound like that. Like, that's the kind of file you'd want to have if you're filling an auditorium or a stadium with sound. You wouldn't need it if you're just listening to headphones or on a Walkman walking down the street. Yeah. And, and people who are audiophiles, or some people who are audiophiles, you should say, claim to be able to hear the difference between like a 64 and a 320 kilobit per second bit rate of the same track, which yeah. is kind of not so, likely. <laughs> between, I can hear the difference between 128 and 320 on a speaker... No, 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 listen. Not on headphones. On on a, headphones in a I blind can't. test? On a speaker system? In a blind test. Especially if you have 2.1 speakers. If they're turned up, the 320 sounds better. I, I promise you, you can even tell the difference. But on a pair of headphones or just like at a party, you're not going to notice a difference. It takes gonna... trained ear listening to the same file at both, and you can tell the difference. I was going to say there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of subtleties that get cut out at lower bit rates. Yeah. So like, yeah. It's that not a big sense. difference, but you can hear it. It sounds the like background vocals sound a little muddier. It's I don't want to get into the whole sound thing, but you can tell. But above three twenty, I I would like to say that it would take 
uh, like probably a pair of headphones in a soundproof room, uh, turned up like very quiet. You might be able to tell the difference if you're trained to do it, but for the average consumer, I don't think anyone should buy this Walkman because they think it's going to be better sound quality than an iPod or a Zune. Or I don't want to. I love the Zune. I don't want to hate on the Zune. I love the Zoom too, Rob. I'm right there with you. Yeah, or any other music player. So I applaud them for pushing technology forward, and it, it's fine. But I don't know that it's going to make it. Like, it's obviously not going to make a successful consumer product. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> let's stay on the let's stay on the audio for a bit. I um, since the well, I mean before. I've always dreamed of having wireless headphones or wireless earbuds, I guess, that are literally just, you only have them inside your ear. And when I saw the, um, oh, well, I can't remember the name of the LMFAO song, the zombie one. In the video, they have earbuds that are just like, they're almost like... Uh, Isn't that Party fine. Rock Anthem? Party Rock Anthem, yeah. I knew that I knew the words Party Rock were in there somewhere, but I was like, sorry for Party Rock, and that's not it. <laughs> um yeah, so that that video, one of them has what look like earbuds, but are probably just earplugs in like for the purposes of the actual video. Yeah, they're um, they're they're earplugs so that yeah. they don't get caught up in the party rocking. Right. But so I always wanted earbuds that were like that. Like right now my my Plantronic headphones, my wireless earphones, they, there's a neck strap that comes up and then it goes into your ears, but I want to get rid of that strap and just have two buds where, like, it's basically a hearing aid at that point, but it plays music through Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple companies at CES that had put out prototypes or were showing prototypes that are going to be shipping this year, like April was the earliest. And I just think that's fantastic. Uh, the, the one that sort of looked the nicest to me is by a company called Braggy, B-R-A-G-I, and it was called the Braggy Dash. Uh, and we've so we've talked about the Moto Hint, which is like a Bluetooth headset, so it's one ear. If and I may, sort of taking, is, sorry? are you sure that's Braggy and not Baragi? Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, it might it might be Braggy. So wait, am I supposed to be turning things French, or am I supposed to be leaving them <laughs> as anglicized as possible? Je ne sais pas, Rob. Your instructions are extremely unclear. So the, 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 <laughs> no, he doesn't Braggy, know how to pronounce it. The Braji Dosh is, <laughs> but it's got both. It's two earbuds, not just one, and it's meant like there's supposed to be features that make it more like an assistant. But I mean, I guess if you're using it with a smartphone, you're probably more likely to use Google Now or Siri or whatever Cortana. So I'm excited to see this, and I can't say that I'll buy them because I am in a relationship with someone who has financial. <laughs> veto over large purchases, and I already have so many pairs of headphones and earbuds. Uh, but I would love to try them, and I, if like in a couple of years when I need new headphones, I'm going to get wireless ones assuming they're as good as the ones I have now. Yeah, I, I like the gesture, the gesture, gesture, gesture yeah. uh, controls that they were talking about, kind of like, you know, like nod to get, answer a call yeah. or Look up and you get the weather report kind of thing. I think it'd be annoying if you didn't mean to get it, but <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, what? Oh, what? oh damn. no! It'd be it's kind of cool how yeah you're moving towards more just contextual 
information like that. I'm yeah. looking at birds. Stop telling me the weather. <laughs> Uh, so, what about, I think it's very interesting, this year was apparently the death knell for Google TV. Google TV, will recall, it was a thing that was announced probably three years ago now, at least. Uh, at the most recent Google I.O., they announced Android TV, their new Google TV television platform, and now, uh, Mike, you were saying that they have companies, TV companies signed on to put Android TV in their in their smart TVs. Yeah. Yeah, so this isn't... I, I believe Google TV was its own standalone box, similar to Apple TV. Um, so this is companies getting on board with integrating Android TV as the operating system for their smart TV line. Um, so I know, Rob, you do have a smart TV, I believe? Yes. Yeah. And I and don't like it. You don't like it. I don't like no. the smartness. You what? I don't like the smartness part. It has YouTube and Netflix and then a bunch of terrible apps that yeah. nobody should ever use. Yeah. So we have a smart TV as well. Um, we use it for Netflix. We actually use the Cineplex app on it when we got a certificate for a free Cineplex rental. So that was kind of cool oh. to be able to use that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to be able to use that. Um, but yeah, pretty much otherwise, you're not going to use any of the apps for anything. Um so at that rate, you if all you're going to use is Netflix, you may as well just get like a Chromecast or just any other streaming device that supports Netflix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's Sony and Sharp, I believe. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They said that they were going to integrate Android TV into their product lines um, and offer it as a, uh, as a feature for their smart functionality which is exciting to see it happening. And hopefully, I guess the downside of smart TVs now is that they don't integrate with your mobile devices right now um, right. in a natural kind of way that you'd expect from a um, something like Apple TV with your Mac or your iPod or whatever. Um, but Android TV is supposed to be part of the whole ecosystem that you can kind of go between devices and communicate between them pretty seamlessly. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I would love to get I, I mean I've talked I the Apple TV sounds lovely because of the screen mirroring. Yeah. And but overall I think having an actual ecosystem as opposed to the the Apple model where there's no file system, there's no uh sort of streaming a file to it. You basically just have you can look at your photos there in the cloud, you can go to channels and pick content, stuff like Netflix or YouTube. I'm much more I'm much more prone to want to use a model uh, like the functionality that my TV does have where I can go on my computer that's on the same network, right-click a video file and click play to the TV is great. But going on the TV itself and accessing my computer, the interface is terrible. There's no search. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically, like, you have to click you have to click very slowly and go through a list of tens or hundreds of files, and it's just not yeah. useful. Yeah. One of the things I really like about our smart TV is that you have it. You can download an app to your phone that's a remote for your TV, 
And so when you enable that remote, you have a little trackpad on your phone that brings a cursor up onto your TV, so you can navigate just like you would with a computer. And then when it comes up with a uh, data entry screen, you can just use a keyboard on your phone. So you don't have to f- clumsy around with a remote for hand entering. So that's that would be so much nicer than yeah. you know using a remote to type something in. Yeah, it's that's frustrating. So hopefully with Android TV, you have a similar kind of functionality where your phone brings up with some sort of interface to interact with your TV. Yeah. Well, I think we're all uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, let's close up CES talk because we do have other stuff to talk about. Uh, the last thing we, we had here was some of the wireless charging technology that was, that was shown at CES. And the one that interested me the most was... Uh, I forget if it was built into a router or if it was sort of like a... It just worked like Wi-Fi in that it was basically a charging box that if you had a compatible wireless charging thing, it had a 15-foot range and you can wirelessly charge your devices if they're as long as they're within 15 feet of this, this charging station. And you can set up multiple charging stations in whatever area you wanted to have covered and it would... Ha- sort of seamlessly switch off char- charging from any of the stations to, I mean, essentially replace having to plug anything in. If it's constantly charging when it's in your home, that seems amazing. And, like, it's sort of the opposite of saying, it's 2015, where's our flying car? It's sort of like, it's 2015, and we already have this amazing wireless charging. How did that happen so fast? Yeah. Yeah, I know. As far as the functionality, they analogized it, analogized it to Wi-Fi, because I think it's it's pretty much Wi-Fi, but just using Bluetooth signals, not Wi-Fi. Um, but it functions like it's the size of a router, and yeah. it can switch between devices similar to a Wi-Fi signal can. So it's uh, I think yeah, probably the best way to visualize it is a Wi-Fi, but for charging. Yeah. It, it's interesting. They were talking about how uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and you guys ridiculed me for saying that something like this was coming. Uh, and so they were what? saying, it, oh, no, 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 they were saying a wireless charging mat, like where you lay your phone directly on top of a coil, is about ninety percent efficient, and this compared to that is seventy percent efficient. Yeah, which is crazy. Really, That's so crazy. How much? What's the draw on that? I don't like how much know. power is that drawing? There's so little information about this thing. <laughs> yeah, and efficiency isn't like amperage. Like you can't compare it. No, it's not amperage. Charging speed or anything. It's just efficiency of power transfer. Yep. So hmm. you're gonna have a lot slower charging with this than you would with a direct. Yep. At least right now. Um, and Rob, what you were talking about before was like a charging field. This where is a charging anytime field. Well, you it links it's up. It's just a very it, precise charging field. Right. It's not a general overall. Just walk no. in and your phone starts charging. No, no. You walk in, your phone links to the device, right. and then it starts charging. Right. Yeah. Within fifteen feet. Yeah. So you may as well just be resting it on a pad, really. You. Kind of. Oh man. You could be standing. You could be on a basketball court and at the. At the goal, in the net is a charging station. You can be at the free throw line. I know how far away 15 feet is. You don't have to visualize with a basketball court. That's how I'm visualizing it. 
<laughs> have you thought about it as five meters? <laughs> <laughs> you could be one full giraffe away from this and still charge. <laughs> that's not nothing. That's not. That's like no a different room. Nothing. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. Are we... Is that it? Are we done with CES? You guys have nothing else to say that's positive about wireless charging? <laughs> that's well, fine. We, we should mention that... I don't know, I thought it was interesting about the different charging standards. Um, how you mentioned the charging mats, and those are generally the key or chi. Yeah. Key. Um... I also the pronunciations today. We're not very good with those. Um, they use that standard, and then I guess there's another... There were two standards that merged, and now there's key in this other one. Yeah. And this one uses the other one, not the key. Yeah. So, so uh, immediately after I saw that story about the two wireless standards merging, someone obligatorily posted the XKCD comic about, oh, we, we joined together and made a new standard... And it's going to take over all the standards, and then, like, the next day, oh, now we have one more standard. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, yeah. I'm excited about wireless charging, but it's going to take a while for it to get sort of mainstream-er, and hopefully we'll actually get to a point where that can happen. It'll be something I really look forward to. Good. Would you... Nick, if Rob. you could if you could get efficient wireless charging like we're describing with this, would would that change your life if you could get that working? I think change my life is a little generous. It would change um, my life. I know. You place a lot of emphasis on these things. I do. Uh, I don't know. I guess it'd work well and it might be convenient. I, my, I don't know if I want to say concern or what, but I wonder how much power it takes, though. Like, it sounds like, I, I'm just guessing that it's going to be comparatively inefficient. Yeah. Compared to actually plugging a phone in. Yeah, they send the wireless signal. <clears throat> Over like it, it's a wireless signal, so it's not going to be that much more power intensive than Wi-Fi is. They're sending okay. a focused wireless signal, so it, in, in essence, it's even less because Wi-Fi, at least most Wi-Fi, sort of it is a field. Like it, it has to cover a whole sphere. Whereas this, there'll be sort of a normal Wi-Fi sphere, but then once it starts charging, it will specifically target that device directionally and just charge it. It won't, it won't send out this giant sphere of energy in all directions. Well, it would never be a sphere. It would be, because it's induction, it would be more like a torus, wouldn't it? I think it's more spherical. That was my yeah. understanding. I, I, don't, I don't know if when they say that they're going to focus the charging, I don't know if they mean directionally. I think they just won't allow other ones to draw power. No, I think they, I think they mean directionally. I could be wrong, but th what how they've been talking you, about how is... How direct a field like that? They've been talking about directional antennas, and you, it might not be like a narrow beam, but they were talking about not having it cover a whole 360 degrees around, but being able to send it out in like a 30-degree cone or something. Like mm. it would target... Without like a dish? 
No, not with no dish, just hmm. just perpendicular wiring, perpendicular antennas. That again, that's that's the understanding from the few years of wireless charging stuff that I've read, and even like some there are some Wi-Fi uh, routers that will have directional, like be, there's beam forming technology where it sends out, it sends the signal specifically to where you are not just everywhere in space when it when you're talking about sort of the like it still is going to create this sort of spherical cloud of Wi-Fi but when you connect it will it will form that's at least what they say it will form a beam of directed bits like rather than sending all the bits everywhere it'll send the bits you need directly to your computer laptop whatever it is so it would just scan for you until it found you, kind of, and then just stick with that yeah. quadrant or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's move past CES. Uh, my sort of, well, one of the biggest things that I saw this week is Discovery Channel got a new, I don't know if he's a president or if he's just, like, head of programming, but their new person in charge of direction of station is saying we're like maybe they'll still have shark week but they're not going to have documentaries on sharks that aren't real they're not going to show all kinds of they've been showing a lot of more sort of reality tv uh less real science programming in the last few years and they've basically been saying we're not doing that anymore we wouldn't we won't have programming like this Eaten Alive documentary that I don't know if you guys... We talked about it a little bit, right? Yeah. The guy that said he was going to get eaten by a snake and then they had a two-hour special and in the last five minutes they showed that he... It was like five minutes in, he just tapped out and said yeah. like, all right, stop it. I'm not... He didn't even get kind of eaten. The most no, it was like, oh, he's squeezing me and yeah. it feels like my arm might break, so stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's what it does. It constricts you and, like, <laughs> it has to break your bones. Yeah. So they're, they're moving away from that. Discovery Channel. And honestly, the first as soon as I first heard this, I was like, oh, no. Like, one year too late uh, to save Carrie, Tori, and Grant. You guys don't watch Mythbusters, do you? No, I, what was the backstory behind that? I know they took away the three... The, the direction they wanted to go was more back to, like, telling simple stories and less about sort of the scientific method of doing myths. So, yeah, I didn't so, know that part. Really? Yeah, they let, them, they let them go. Hmm. And I, I think everyone of the, like everyone's fine with it. There's not, like, any bad blood. But it makes me sad to think that I, I I have to assume, and I can't know this for sure, but I have to assume that if this had happened a year ago before they were let go, before they were off the show, it it wouldn't have happened or it wouldn't have happened the same way. Because, like, it, it was such a fun show. They were so... Like, they brought a different dimension. Mythbusters, before they came on, was still great. But they just... Yeah. It added so much to the show to have these people that had other strengths and... They were able to tackle things that Jamie and Adam couldn't do. Yeah. If, if we're being completely honest, how many viewers have they lost because Carrie's yeah, no longer Carrie's there? Carrie's gone. 
They lost a huge number of viewers. The the last season they did the episode where they compared like she wore a corset or something like something to reduce her apparent breast size. They had her normal one and then they had her wearing these huge implants and tested how many tips she got at a coffee shop. That was a real myth they tested. Yeah, and it was so much more. <laughs> like it was proven so true that it's based on breast size. I really so, That sounds like a great episode. Why have I not been watching Nickbusters? <laughs> one of one of the things that I found is that I I wished I thought I felt that they were stretching the show a bit too much having to focus on five people. Five people. I they, I, I found that too... like they were flipping back and forth a bit too much I found. Personally, for, for my own liking, okay. I guess. Um, and then the other point is that, as far as the scientific method aspect, there's been, and you guys are probably aware that there's been a lot of, I don't know about criticism, but just talk in the scientific community about how Mythbusters isn't exactly a great representation of the scientific method. Like, it is, but it's not. Like Oh, yeah. Uh, I have read... More, you know, what do I want to say? Diatribes against them? Yeah. Like, you know, like, XKCD, I, I think, did a comic about them, and so did PhD Comics. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like, it's more just making fun of it versus actual criticism. But it's, it's still, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword on that end. They, weren't, they were never saying, we're using the scientific method to test myths. It just happened that most of the time that was what they ended up doing. Like the, they've also, the, sorry, they've also said like in a lot of interviews, Adam will say like, "Listen, we actually test these things a lot more than you see on yeah. camera. It's just rigor doesn't make for excellent TV. And having worked as a scientist, I can assure you, rigor doesn't make for good TV. Like yeah. the montage from CSI is so much more entertaining than." Yeah what you actually do in a lab. Yeah. I remember even when we were doing some stuff at work as far as doing an experiment, and it was, yeah, a lot of sitting at a computer, clicking, taking data, making a small change, taking more data, and you do that for, like, eight hours. Yeah, like, XKCD had a comic on, you know, what happens in CSI and what actually happens in a lab. Yeah. And it was, like, you know, on one side, you know, they test a bunch of stuff, and it goes really quickly, and then they're like, okay, we know the killer is here, here, and here with this exact sort of thing. And on the other side, it's like, what actually happens in a lab? It's like, the first test they do, they put it into a little thing. It's like, hours pass, and it just keeps going, and they sit and watch the thing, and it's like, all right, we know that it, the, sample pro- or the sample definitely didn't contain iridium, and the yeah. other person says, probably didn't contain iridium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know what? If they made a show about the making of Mythbusters, like how they actually did the science, I would watch that. I would watch the boring scientific method stuff. Yeah. I'd probably be just oh, as absolutely. interested. Yeah. I always, like, and, and more recently they've started being more upfront about that. Like, we know we didn't show you this, but we did do it, and it didn't work. And it didn't make for interesting TV, so it didn't get on the cut. Um, they do. It's not necessarily scientifically rigorous, but they do a lot of testing that normal science would do. 
So I think the criticism is kind of misdirected. They're helping more than hindering by mm -hmm. far. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're they're actually the whole crux of science is taking anecdote or whatever and actually testing it, and that is the centerpiece of MythBusters, I think. Which is, yeah, yeah it, it's definitely useful. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm interested to see what happens with the Discovery Channel, and I may start watching it again, other than the Mythbusters, which I do watch. All right, up next, this story has been in here for a while because Nick was absent and there was a whole big gap for Christmas. Oh, uh, Nick, yeah. you want to talk about BPA? It, it's not so much BPA specifically that I want to talk about. Fair enough. Like, BPA is bisphenol A, specific sort of bisphenol um, it's just the long and short is it's not great for you like especially in children they've taken BPA out of I think almost all products that a child a child would conceivably put in their mouth which it mimics estrogen if I'm understanding yeah that's correct yeah it's a, a what do you call it a phyto or a pseudoestrogen yeah anyway it mimics the the function of a hormone in the body, which is bad, particularly in developing human beings. Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't really the main thing what I, with what I wanted to talk about this story. The story was that uh, if you use hand sanitizer and then touch something that contains bisphenol A, your ability to uptake that bisphenol A is far more, or it's uh, magnified significantly. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was sorry, what I thought was interesting about that wasn't the bisphenol A thing. It was the fact that apparently your or I think they made mention of the microbiome in your hands and the fact that hand sanitizer wipes out that microbiome. And then whereas normally you'd have this layer of stuff, whatever, microbes that would protect you from uptaking that sort of thing, the hand sanitizer just completely wipes it out, and then you don't have any protection against that sort of thing. And it's not so much BPA specifically, but like, how many things are like that that our yeah. microbiome is protecting us from? And then you just use hand sanitizer, and mm -hmm. suddenly you're at risk again. And that's not to say you should never use hand sanitizer. Like, my dad, you know, who plays the organ. And frequently after a church service or a recital or whatever, you know, there's a lot of handshaking that goes on. And yeah. so after he does all his handshaking, he takes a little bit of hand sanitizer and, you know, uses it because he finds that he gets sick a lot less if he does that, which makes a lot of sense because yeah. humans are filthy. And if you touch a lot of them, you could probably get sick. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so... Yeah, I'm not railing against BPA specifically. It's just, I think it's really interesting that we've discovered another function of the human microbiome because I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the show before. The microbiome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have. And very curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think it's worth noting that as far as the BPA absorption, it's the article or this research specifically was talking about free BPA 
Um, and they used the example of uh, receipt paper or thermal paper. Um, mm -hmm. So as far as BPA contained in plastics, that is not a part of the absorption uh, quality that the hand sanitizer causes. So you'd still be fine picking up, you know, whatever container that has BPA in it after the hand sanitizer. It's the free BPA that's required for the thermal paper functionality that gets absorbed by the uh, by the skin. And that was the specific uh, type of BPA that was done in their research. So, um, well, yeah, it's far more it's far more difficult to pick up BPA. Yeah, exactly. Locked into a beverage container without yeah. an opportunity to leach. Exactly. Yeah, so just thought that would be worth clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as hand sanitizer itself, I I never was a proponent of hand sanitizer. So. Yeah, hand sanitizer. I, I wash my hands. I don't use hand sanitizer. Yeah. That's completely fair. Yeah. Even, even soap, I understand the need for it, but it probably. But I don't like it one bit. For for on your hands, I mean, for your microbiome, soap is undeniably a negative thing. It probably leaves you open to more infection. But we also do a lot of things with our hands that get them. Like if there was a way, if you could like, I mean, you could use disposable gloves every time you go to the bathroom and get rid of them. That would be the best possible thing. But nobody's going to keep a box of disposable gloves in their bathroom at home. And so washing your hands with a bit of soap and actually washing them well is a good alternative. Mm -hmm. So I, I get why it's good, but it's also bad in that all over our body, our hand, our, there are, there's bacteria and flora uh, of a very, very small size that is protecting us in that it's preventing sort of more pathogenic bacteria from attacking you. Yeah. At the same time, if you, you know, are handling raw chicken or, or that kind of thing, you're probably better off washing your hands than not. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, visiting the morgue before going to deliver a child. Yes. wash your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, up next, there is... Uh, Mike, do you want to introduce this story? I uh, I feel like I won't do it justice as much because I haven't read the article. Oh, yeah. So recently, I only heard about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, maybe a month or two ago, about there's been movements, and surprisingly, I don't think it was from PETA, but it was from another group that was more for the fair treatment of, uh, of chimpanzees, apes, and gorillas-type uh, primates that they are trying to get them qualified as persons in the sense of being free of captivity and uh, having more freedom than they're given in a zoo-type uh, facility. Um, and the specific term they're using is habeas corpus, um, which is applied at this time to humans only. And they're trying to get extended to animals that display personhood-type traits. So... Is it definitely habeas corpus? Because that's, that's, that's a legal term. Right. So they're, they're, they're putting this to the courts, and they're saying that these animals that are kept in zoos, I don't know if it's all chimps that they're 
trying to fight for specific ones that are more person-like than others. Um, but there have been, I think, three or four cases so far that they've presented to the court saying this animal is uh, displays person-type traits that uh, sh- that kind of show that captivity is not proper or appropriate for this person. So under I'll under the defense of habeas corpus, saying that people should not be kept under captivity. Yeah, the the legal definition of habeas corpus is re- is reviewing the legality of a party's arrest, imprisonment, or detention. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like a writ of habeas corpus. Like, so there are two. I might be butchering this, but there are two re- legal requirements to have committed a guilty or have committed a a crime. One is habeas corpus, which is it's the guilty act or to have the body. It's so you have done something illegal. And the other is actus reus, which is the guilty mind. So one, you have had to do something illegal. Two, you have had to know that it was illegal, the thing that you did. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, I think that's where my confusion okay. lies. Just, the context it was used in was specifically under uh, the captivity or confinement I was going to say, maybe like to have the body, like to literally have a body of an ape. Are these all great apes, or is that... I'm not sure what uh, how those are... Yeah, they've been chimpanzees. I I think one was an orangutan that was in Argentina that was actually granted the habeas corpus clause in its uh, ruling of not being held captive. Um, And the others, I believe, have been chimpanzees that were presented to the courts that were denied. So, yeah, they're the more person-type primates that, yeah, could arguably be said to have person-like characteristics from a communication basis or interaction, but um, are obviously not humans. But I guess if corporations can be people, then primates can be people too, so. Right. Uh, So the... The legal implications of this are are really interesting. There was a story earlier this year uh, about a monkey taking a picture and who owned the copyright to the picture and who owned the rights to it. Uh, and it was decided that no one owned the rights to it. W- I think it was Wikimedia that yeah. made that decision. And then I, I don't know exactly who gives them clout to make that decision. But I, I thought it was like, an issue before the courts. Yeah. And there's a specific rule in copyright that you know only only human beings can right. create copyrightable content so yeah. if the monkey actually took the picture then it's considered like nothing took the picture yeah right wasn't it like wasn't it wikimedia that was hosting the picture and they were under yeah they weren't going to take copies that's of it, probably it yeah so they were arguing that it wasn't copyrighted because it was the monkey that took it. Right. The monkey took the selfie, guys. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's probably the greatest court debate ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we're finding out more and more as we as we do more science on animal intelligence and evolution and all of these aspects we're we're finding that what makes us human and deserving of human rights is a lot grayer area than we had sort of originally. Originally it was humans are intelligent, nothing else is at all intelligent, 
so we get rights and nobody else gets anything. And more and more groups like PETA and groups like this are saying no. There are so many signs that dogs, cats, dolphins, uh, primates, and great apes are intelligent. Crows, for instance. There, there are all kinds of studies that show that just because we have the ability to talk about intelligence amongst ourselves, um, just because, I, I mean, arguably we are the most intelligent species on Earth, doesn't I'm mean pretty that we sure decree you can, argue, that no, you can safely argue that. Oh, well, nobody's nobody's counter arguing from another species, <laughs> <laughs> and so we've ipso sort of facto. Yeah, drop the mic. I mean, we could make the same argument that we're the most intelligent species in the universe, and the, nobody's going to stake an opposite claim to that. Um, but s saying that other species aren't intelligent, period, in their own right. Yeah, we're proving yeah. that wrong every day with more yeah. and more research. Uh, so I, I don't know. Bringing society to every living creature on Earth will prove very difficult because we like to eat many of the creatures on Earth, and that's sort In of fairness, been the way. It's the only world because works. they're delicious. Yeah, that's been the way the world works for a very like for human history for sure, but long before that, like animals eat each other and other animals to survive. There's nothing... We've decided that cannibalism is bad because humans are special, but if humans aren't special, then cannibalism wouldn't be any worse than eating a chicken. So it, it, it raises a lot of interesting ethical questions and moral questions when you start questioning... You can question this one specific thing about the right to keep an ape in a zoo because they're close to us genetically... But you make the same argument, like how far up the the family tree, the genetic family tree, do you go? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like you, make, you could make the argument that you know bananas are pretty genetically similar to humans because <laughs> all life is pretty yeah. genetically similar. Yeah, to a point. Yeah. Yeah, like we shared. I don't know. We share a bulk of the a bulk of our genome with anything that can can convert glucose. I think. Yeah. Mitochondria. So, it, from that sense, this is kind of, like it's a slippery slope, but it's not a slippery slope to something bad. It's just a slippery slope to a much, much bigger discussion. Yeah. And well, that's I, why you're not going to see courts start setting precedents with their rulings because. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I actually, on the note of uh, animals displaying human like characteristics, I actually read an article that. Um, there's been a paper or a study released that showed that I believe it was a chimpanzee um, that, uh, oh no, sorry, it was an orangutan that they use similar speech patterns and uh, functionality as humans as far as consonants and vowel type sounds go. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, yeah, another kind of gap filled as far as the leap from communication on that level to what we know as as language. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of cool to have that ever advancing and and seeing that develop. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. I we'll probably come back to this at some point, or on several points because this is ever changing and it. We've we've talked a lot in the last year as a society about civil rights 
about, I mean, arguing that people don't deserve civil rights on any, like any human doesn't deserve civil rights on any basis is terrible. And we're now starting to get further and further down, like this court, this court in Argentina talking about orangutans and chimpanzees having human rights it, or having rights and I guess it's it, it's arbitrary because it's it's how similar they are to us by our standards. Mm-hmm. But we we set the standard for all kind like we set the standard. Humans set the standard for slavery to be a thing that was okay morally. Right. So I think that's one of the main reasons that this is going to have to keep changing. And so th- there's there was a story last week that laws in Russia were changed to, so that transgendered people are not, legally not no longer allowed to drive. Like, they're taking away rights on completely arbitrary and very, very outdated basis, bases. Bases? Bases. It's, yeah. Discussions like that happening in Russia at the same time as we're debating whether or not orangutans and chimpanzees in Argentina can be considered human. Like, how can those discussions both be happening at the same time? Something has to give, and the discussion has to open up to become much more much more open. In, in a legal sense, it's not whether they're human, it's whether they're persons. Right, exactly. And, and yeah. so human, I guess, is a bad word because we're talking about homo sapiens sapiens, but uh, yeah... It'll be interesting to see where this debate goes in the next, I mean, the next year, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, in the next 100 years. You can use whatever time frame you want. But I think things are changing as our scientific knowledge of genetics and evolution and all of this is changing so quickly. I, I think the slavery example is an interesting road to go down because it was very the mindset of these slaves are not you know, people in a sense. Yeah. They're not worthy of the same rights as we have. And it's kind of it's like well, yeah, you know, if we were if we were at that point then and we're changed from that, then there's no reason to think that we're not going to change our other current views as we know exactly. them now. So. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the the fact that Africans in general were considered not human that was used to justify mm-hmm. slavery and it. Well, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it was used. Like they, nobody was saying they weren't human, but there was like. I know there was biblical justification for it because uh, I think in one of the stories like someone did something bad and so they made all of his descendants black or something okay. like that. Yeah, that, that does sound vaguely familiar. That wasn't Michael, in, I don't think that was in the Bible. It might have been in some text. <laughs> okay, it might be in a, I don't know, the Apocrypha or something like that. I don't know. I know, like, just in the Old Testament in general, a lot of people had slaves. Like, that was just a part of the the time, I guess, so. Yeah. There's a... No, but there's, there's like, a, there was a specific justification that, no. like, you know, they'd been turned black because they'd done oh. something wrong, and people were like, mm. well, clearly, like, it must be okay. I'd never heard of that before. There's but, I mean, a, they also... Sorry, I'm... I know I keep cutting you off, but like I've actually done a lot of reading and yeah, that's fine. stuff on I, slavery. But there was also like they didn't. It wasn't 
just black people that were taken as slaves. Like, everyone could be slaves for a long time. It was like, if you were a conquered person, you became a slave. It's right. just, it so happened that, like, one of the reasons that black slavery took off a lot in the Americas was that, like, it was the worst kind of compliment you could give them. Because uh, the the Native Americans tended to be very vulnerable that, to European-based diseases. And so if they were taken as slaves, they tended to die off a lot. But the African slaves they were taking were very physically fit, were very resistant to European-based diseases. And so they just were... They made really good slaves because they were fit and healthy and stuff like that. And so that, I mean, it was a choice based on economics that black slavery took off a lot. But it wasn't, you know, there were justifications based on, you know, questionable logic of why it was okay to have these people as slaves. But, I mean, a lot of it came down to, you know, there's just, they were a specific brand of conquered people that, tended to work very well. Mm. Right. So the what I was going to say, there's a story, or there's a video that I just recently came out two weeks ago on the Atlantic slave trade specifically uh, from Ted Ed. And so I'm going to put a link to it because it talks, it, it basically the, the, the thing is what too few textbooks told you about the Atlantic slave trade. And there's a lot of really interesting points and arguments in there as to sort of why it happened and why people were okay with it. So, uh, like when I watched it, even like I've I've read a lot about slavery too. And when I read when I watched that, I taught me things I hadn't heard or didn't know. Uh, you guys want to move on to some, I guess, technically related but much better news. Uh, sort of showing how far we've come. Let's say. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is getting his own talk show. I I want to say I think it's even on Discovery. Is that no? It was on National Geographic Channel. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson has been doing he's been doing a radio show called Star Talk Live for a really long time, and it's also a podcast. And so he's got a ton of experience. He goes on talk shows all the time to promote science and to talk about projects. And this past year, he did a season of Cosmos, uh, which it was on Fox, but it was like, it's the kind of show that Fox wouldn't normally put on. So I kind of have to almost give them a little bit of kudos for putting on such a scientifically uh, driven show. Uh, so I don't know. Are you guys excited? Would you watch a Neil deGrasse Tyson talk show? Probably. I, I take it that you guys have not heard or seen anything about Star Talk. That is correct. It's a radio show. Yeah. It's At a really great on my end. It's a really great podcast. I haven't heard it on the radio at all, but uh, he has guest hosts uh, like Bill Nye has been on it. Uh, he's had he interviewed uh, about a month ago. He interviewed Jamie and Adam from MythBusters. He he gets comedians to come on and ask him like collect science questions from the internet that they that people have asked Star Talk and he'll answer them. Like his his wealth of knowledge on scientific topics 
and his connections to the scientific community are so vast. He, it, it, no matter what, this is going to be an amazing show. I don't think there's any way he can screw it up. And watching the way he was able to do justice to the stories in Cosmos makes me really excited for this show. Like, even beyond that, just listening to the beautiful timbre of his voice is is going to be fantastic. Uh, I don't I know. Find, so, what? I always find he sounds very smug when he talks. I think that kind of bothers me a bit about him. Really? I, pre- I prefer, like, I don't know, you guys probably have heard or have read Phil Plate before. Yeah. Or have heard of him, anyway. Like, I don't know, I've, I went to one of his... Uh, he did a presentation here in Calgary a while ago what? on uh, on one of his books. I know that. I think you were in Ottawa at the time. No, but I mean, how did I not know oh. that you went? That's amazing. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I you know, I went with one of my friends. So yeah. anyway, like I I really enjoyed him, and he was very enthusiastic, and it wasn't smug or condescending at all. And I think part of Neil deGrasse Tyson's thing is just being knowledgeable. And contrary to other, you know, criticisms of science or whatever. So I, I, I understand that's his thing and that's just how he talks, but maybe that's just me. I, I think you should listen to some of Star Talk because it's, he, he, he is knowledgeable and I don't think it's smugness. I think it's just self-confidence in his knowledge. He has such a vast scientific knowledge. He's like what I aim to be in 40 years like just he they talk about so many different scientific disciplines he's an astrophysicist which takes a crazy amount of knowledge already but he they have had episodes on pseudoscience they've had episodes on like the physics of superheroes it's so diverse and i've never heard him in the radio show and like on cosmos i've never heard him come off as condescending i think maybe if you if you are exposed to him mostly in interviews where he's basically being questioned uh, like he's defending science he has to come off as condescending because he's defending something that is so obvious and people are saying ridiculous things that aren't true so he has to sort of condescend them right yeah because i've never heard him come off as condescending just talking himself yeah another thing that i'm looking forward to this year speaking of media involving science heavyweights uh, Phil Plate is doing a video series on astronomy with Crash Course, which I'm so looking forward oh, to. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's good. It's going to be a good year for science. Um, so the, on this Neil deGrasse Tyson thing, I just wanted to ask you guys, Mike, you're obviously going to be biased, maybe not biased, but uninformed. Uh, so I'll pose this question to Nick, and then Mike can add something if he wants to. Would you rather see... Uh, episode, or sorry, season two of Cosmos, or would you rather see a Neil deGrasse Tyson talk show if you had to choose? I would rather see the talk show. Okay. Because I felt that Cosmos, like, Cosmos was done so well and told such a good story in the self-contained season that it was that I would almost rather just see it left as the work that it is. Okay. That's fair. I I think knowing how many stories there are about astronomy, about 
science in general. They did that whole episode on lead and gasoline. I think they barely scratched the surface of what they could talk about. Well, there are so many stories, though. Like, uh, it could be like Mythbusters, but for like the history of science. I think it could be so great. Yeah, but I, I I don't know. I would almost rather see that be a different show, though. The, I mean, I guess the. I don't know if you guys know this, but it, this is one of the things they talked about on Star Talk. Um, the one of the head writers, like one of the co-writers of the second series, Cosmo series was Carl Sagan's wife, Andrean, who wrote co-wrote with Carl Sagan the first Cosmos. Okay. So it, it really is the same show. Like, it really is the next series of that show. Okay. It's coming from the same creative minds. So I, I think as long as they're willing to put that together, I will watch it and I will love it. Well, no one's questioning that. Yeah. Like, if they made more, I would absolutely watch it. Yeah. But I would... Man, you could make a show on stories from science, because there are so many good stories. Like, one of the first books I took out of the U Ottawa library was called 108 Stories About Chemistry. I think that's what it was. It was published in the former Soviet Union, and just went through and had... Because at the time, there were 108 known elements. Mm-hmm. And they went through and told a hundred, you know, a bunch of stories about different things from chemistry yeah. or, like, stories of one element, even. Yeah, right. Or they... Actually, it was funny, because they had one that was, like... It was talking about allotropes of carbon and how uh, diamond and graphite are known. And it's like but did you know there's a third allotrope of carbon? And I thought to myself, like, well, yeah, I know there's a third allotrope or a third form that carbon takes. And I looked at the, you know, the published date, and I was like, but it wasn't discovered now. (laughs) (laughs) And so they, they were saying, well, you know, if you take carbon and have alternating single and triple bonds just along a line, and then remove the molecules at the or the atoms at the end, which would be hydrogen probably. Yeah. Uh, if you just left a double bond there, then you would have a new allotrope of carbon, and wouldn't that be cool? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it would. I don't know how you're gonna keep a lone pair on the end of a carbon atom. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, it's like Soviet scientists are very close to achieving this goal. It's like. Ah, you didn't, <laughs> suckers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some would argue that graphene is the same allotrope as graphite, just in single like, sheet. Has anyone argued that graphene is a separate allotrope? No, but are are you were saying that? I mean, were you are you saying that? Haha, they were wrong. There's only two. Or are you saying haha, they're wrong. There's three, but they were wrong about the third one. Uh, they were saying they were wrong about the third one. Okay. Although I, I see how you could argue that like Buckminster Fullerene or Fullerenes in general extending even to nanotubes yeah. that could arguably be the same thing as graphite. Yeah, you could. I don't know how allotropes are defined rigorously, but I, I would consider them the same. Yeah. There's, yeah. I don't know, certain structural, like 
they have different unit cells. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so, we done for the week? You guys happy with this mega episode? <laughs> I think we, we had a lot to cover, and I think we covered it well. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, we've been hibernating, and we haven't really had this opportunity to come out of our caves together and do one of these, so... I think it's been over a month since we were all... Uh, December 16th was the last one, and you weren't there, if that's... Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, December so 9th. I was gone, and then Nick was gone. Yeah. Break. It's been a long time. Clearly, we had a lot to talk about. Yep. All right, well, uh, we'll leave it there for this week, and you can find us at futurechat.me on the web. You can uh, find us on Twitter at futurechats. We'll also technically be on Facebook. Uh, YouTube.com slash futurechats is a good place to go to find the video version of this podcast. We would love to get your questions about science or about any of the stories we've talked about or any interesting story you see. We'd love to discuss uh, So what, what you guys find interesting uh, in addition to what we find interesting every week. Yeah, so uh, say goodbye for this week. Goodbye for this week. Yes. See you guys. <laughs>